Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right. Give it up. No half-hearted applause, come on. All right, uh... Seems a little loud. Might want to turn me down. I'm <clears throat> just getting started here. So yeah. So uh, this month, talking about freedom, different aspects of freedom. Of course, last week we celebrated July 4th um, and uh, our our nation's freedom. Uh, Jesus came to set us free. Today I'm going to be talking about freedom from the world. Uh, but before I get into the message, I have just a little short introductory video clip, so let's hopefully the technology works. So Jesus said to those who had come to believe in him, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they answered, we are the descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say that we will become free? You see, they answered Jesus in the same way we might. I mean, we're Americans, right? We live in the land of the free. We sing songs about it. We get together and have parties and fireworks, all to celebrate our nation's freedom. But Jesus was speaking of a different kind of freedom, a freedom that can only be found in him. He answered them, this is the truth. Everyone who chooses a life of sin isn't free. They are a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son or a daughter, they belong forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. freedom we are grateful for the freedom that we have as americans all right we're americans and proud of it land of the free home of the brave and um but we need to remember and i think uh, many of the things in our recent history have highlighted the necessity for christ followers to get our um, allegiances in order to understand uh, the uh, allegiance and the love that we have for our country and the allegiance and the love and the relationship we have with our Lord, um, they're on a different plane. Okay? They're on a different scale. They're both important. A recent survey of pastors of uh, Christian evangelical churches of pastors in America said that they often feel that their congregations love America more than they love God. 53, the majority of pastors in America say that they feel their congregation often love their country more than they love God. Let me ask you. What is something that you love more than God? What do we call that? An idol. (gasps) So, the perception of many pastors, in fact, the majority of pastors, 
is that this is a real problem in the church, in our nation, in our day. And we don't want have a, to have an idol, even if it happens to be a really good idol. Because <laughs> right? the good ones are the most deceptive ones. Right? And what determines something, what uh, uh, makes something an idol? It's when you love it more than you love God. When you um, adhere to it as your master more than to your relationship with God and His Word. Okay? I love the Constitution. I printed out a copy of it. How many have read this? Seriously, just a few of us. You know why? It's a hard thing to read. Right? It was written 250 years ago. <laughs> it's not easy to read. It's kind of boring in most places. A lot of it you go, what in the heck are they even talking about? All right, But we're ready. We're ready to die for this. And you know what? In the right circumstances, I would. I would die for this. All right? And I honor the men and women who have died in defense of this. But you know what? I live for this. This defines my life. This is what I live for day in and day out. I read this every day. I meditate on this every day. I think about this from time to time. And I'm grateful for this. You know, the people who wrote this, you know what they called it? An experiment. Founding fathers were like, this is the great experiment. We think that they were really convinced that this is the perfect way to establish a society. They were like, hey, let's give this a try. (laughs) And you know what? It's turned out really good. I don't have any qualms to say I think the United States is the best nation to live in. I mean, there's hands down. Right? People who are in poverty in this country are better off than the average person in most countries. Simply because in just about everywhere in the United States, really everywhere in the United States, you can easily get drinking water for free. Right? You don't realize that in most parts of the world, even affluent parts of the world... You can't drink water out of the tap. Everybody drinks bottled water. And they got to pay for it. And it's hard to get. And if you don't drink it, you die from various diseases or uh, impurities that are in it. And so America is amazing. And it's worth fighting for. But our allegiance must be primarily to our Lord. We live in a, We as Christians are in a monarchy with a king. This was written to get free from a monarchy. (laughs) Think about it. It's a different way of thinking. And it is a great way to run a government uh, and a a, a society. It's not perfect, but it is good. And it's the best example that I've ever seen. And I've been all around. Let's get some scripture in here. Philippians 3, Paul is writing to the church. He's, uh, he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Now the reason he's saying it with emotion and saying he's weeping is that he's referring to people that were most likely formerly part of the church. These were people that they knew that were once aligned with the teachings of Jesus, that confessed Jesus, but for whatever reason they fell away. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. What they glory in, what they're proud of, is actually shameful. Their God is actually their belly. Who set their mind on earthly things. And then he's comparing that to those who are faithful in Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a contrast between two citizenships. Those whose citizenship is in heaven and those whose citizenship is on earth, earthly things. Now this is significant because Paul was a citizen in the natural of what, of what nation? Rome. He was a Roman citizen. And I think that there's only one time he actually appeals to that citizenship. <clears throat> there's only one time that he, he uses that not to defend Rome, but actually to prevent him from being imprisoned and possibly uh, killed. Uh, he appealed to Caesar. They were going to beat him. And he looked up at the soldier and said, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen without trial? And the Roman citizen was like, or the Roman guard <coughs> was like, who are you to say that? It cost me a great deal of money to buy my citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen, which made him a higher ranking citizen. And then the Roman soldier was fearful and then protected him. So Paul appealed to his earthly citizenship for one reason, so that he could continue preaching the gospel, which is citizenship in heaven, adherence to the word of God. All right. And so, let's keep our citizenship to this great nation also in the proper place. By understanding it, gives us the ability to promote the, our true citizenship. And it really does. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And there isn't a nation on earth that has been given as much. As we are. And simply by being born in this nation, we have so much opportunity and so much wealth at our hands. You know, this uh, <coughs> uh, uh, phrase here, whose God is their belly. And what it means there is that these people are more about what they consume than about Jesus or about the true God. You know what we call that in our day? consumerism you know who perfected consumerism we did americans we perfected it we we use consumerism to uh, advance our businesses our culture and we're really good at it and so this in fact everything if you look at any other 
civilization in the history of mankind, the Roman civilization is most similar to the American civilization. We are unquestionably the world power. Rome at that time was without question the world power. Do you know that the Roman Empire was the first major um, uh, uh, civilization that defended freedom of religion? When they, when they would conquer a land, they did not require, as like the Assyrians and the Syrians and the Babylonians and every other uh, previous major power, the Egyptians, they did not require the inhabitants to, to convert to any religion. The only thing they forbid was that any behavior of the religion could not question the authority of Caesar. But they could continue practicing whatever. Jews could continue being Jews. Pagans could continue being pagans. And the problem they had with Christianity is that they called Jesus a king. Ah! And so they were using, Christianity uses that term. Now, he's a, Jesus was a king of a heavenly kingdom. But when the Romans heard it, they heard it as a threat. And so, yeah, they... They fought against that for a few hundred years, but you know what? The Roman Empire eventually became Christianized. And so our culture, our country, our government, our gifts from God that we want to celebrate and use for the advancement of our heavenly citizenship, which is the kingdom of God. All right? This is a great experiment. I'm going to be faithful to this. For the day I die. But I'll be faithful to this for eternity. This will burn every civilization that ever has been, will end eventually. And, you know, hopefully we'll continue as a nation, maybe till Jesus comes back. But yeah, I don't put my hope in that. I put my hope in the Lord. Okay? And I work to defend the principles of God's Word. Jesus addressed the same idea in John chapter 8. He was actually speaking to Jews who believed Him. In other words, they had been coming to Jesus' meetings. They were listening to His teachings. And they were, they were, they were like, Amen. You know? And He said, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is the verse that that video quoted from. And they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, this is a funny thing that they would say this. Because when they said it, they were in bondage to the Roman Empire. Okay? Like, when they said that, they weren't free. And the nation of Israel had been in bondage to multiple different other nations over the years. Yet in their mind, they thought, we're free. And this is a great example of how someone can believe something and say something that just isn't true. Right? It's like, I mean, there's like no way that that's true. But they were like, we're free. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin, of course, this is Jesus, cutting to the heart of the issue. Whoever commits sin, in other words, he's not talking about whether you are free in a a political sense. He's like, listen, if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. 
And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And a big point here is uh, two things. One, if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. And it's easy to think of other people's sins. You know, people's sins that are ugly or in your face or clearly evident in their lives. But listen, if you read Scripture and you don't apply it to your own life, you're just being a good Pharisee. Right? And you don't want to be a good Pharisee. Because that's not fair, you see? (laughs) Sorry. That's a line from an old camp song. You don't want to be a Sadducee either. Because that's just sad, you see? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the first thing is, okay, what sin are we in bondage to? What sin am I in bondage to? Every person born is born into a life of sin. We inherit sin from our ancestors all the way back to Adam and Eve. The first, the founding family of the human race was completely broken. Not only did Adam and Eve sin, but their oldest son killed their next born. Tragic. We're all born into a broken family. He says, if the Son, referring to God the Son, Jesus makes you free, you are free indeed. In other words, the only way to real freedom is through Jesus. That's what he's saying there. That's the only way. It's not through learning some technique. It's not through abiding. It's not by just living in the right country. I mean, we have advantages, but it doesn't automatically make you free. In fact, this doesn't actually give you, I mean, it gives you some rights, but it can't set you free from addiction. It can't set you free from lust. It can't set you free from greed. It's actually kind of designed around greed. It's written for the pursuit of happiness. This is for the pursuit of godliness. This gives us the right to do all sorts of things that this tells us we will go to hell for. Did I just say that? I believe in this. I think that I don't believe in all the freedoms. Look at some of the freedoms. You can divorce your wife, get married, you can have an affair. Used to be illegal in some states, but it was never enforced. Adultery is legal. Yeah. Having sex outside of marriage is legal. Nothing in the law that prevents that. Right. You know, but Jesus said, "That'll set you up for hell." All right. So, where do we get freedom? We get freedom from Jesus. Jesus came to offer freedom. The Jews didn't understand it because they were uh, adhering to, they were looking to their ethnicity and their nationality. Listen, I don't care what ethnicity you have, whether you're white, black, Asian, African, or anything in between. I mean, every culture has incredible Uh, riches. And in heaven we see a glimpse 
Uh, John's vision of heaven, he said there were people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Okay, so in heaven they're speaking different languages. And what that means, this is a very huge theological point, is that there are aspects of our ethnicity and our culture because he could see they're from different nations and he could hear the different languages. That Those aspects of our culture are preserved eternally. Right? So in some ways, we'll still have part of our culture, the good part, in heaven. But guess what? Americans only um, amount to 4% of the population of of the world. Okay? And we've only been around for 245 years. I figured out that I've lived through 25% of the history of the United States. It just makes me old, doesn't it? (laughs) A quarter of the history of the United States. Right? That's crazy. My wife's grandmother lived to be 101, and and when she was still alive, I calculated out, and she had lived through like 43 or 44. Almost half if you rounded it up. I know! And she remembered every president and what they were like. She was really, right to the day she died, she was politically astute. She had opinions about everything. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) So there's good parts about ethnicity. But that doesn't set us free. There are good things about nationality. But that doesn't set us free. And the Jews were getting it wrong and Jesus called them on it. They were in bondage, but they didn't even realize it in the same way many people are in bondage now. And Jesus refers to it as slavery because someone who's in bondage, who's a slave, can't set themselves free. They need someone to rescue them. And you and I need a Savior just as much as the person caught into a a heroin addiction or or, or completely sold out into the sex trade, whatever it is. If you're in bondage, you need freedom. And we're born into bondage to this world, so we need freedom from the world. Nothing in the world or of this world can set us free. We need something from outside of the world. The world can't set us free. No, no philosophy, no intellectual argument, no invention. Nothing in this world can set us free in the way that it really matters because the world itself is the problem. And that's why Jesus came from outside, from heaven, to offer us freedom, spiritual freedom. Uh, Jesus addresses this idea when He went to His hometown, Nazareth. Uh, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Pause for a moment. Sidebar. Jesus' custom was when it was time to worship and gather with the saints, he was there. You all get a gold star today. But he did it every week. He showed up for church. He participated. Right? That was Jesus' custom. And on this day, it was a special day because uh, uh, he stood up to read. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The Spirit, this was a messianic prophecy. Everyone in the room knew when they heard him read this that he was reading a prophecy about the coming Messiah. That They had been waiting centuries and centuries and centuries, really thousands of years for this promised Messiah. And he reads this passage, which they'd all heard before, He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Why were the eyes fixed on him? It's because he didn't just read this as as, as something that was written uh, many, many hundreds of years ago by a prophet Isaiah. He read it as it being fulfilled in him by him. He knew that that scripture was written about him. And he declared it. He says, this is the day. And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was Jesus' mission statement. It was a summary of what he came to do. It was his purpose. Freedom, the word freedom is mentioned twice. But really the whole uh, mission statement is about setting people free from poverty and captivity from blindness and every form of physical ailment, from every form of oppression. Jesus came to set people free, right? But the people who heard him didn't get it. At first they were like, wow, who is this kid? He's, he's, he's the carpenter's son. Like, man. But a few verses later, when they, when they started to hear what he was saying, they were ready to throw him out of, off a cliff. It doesn't matter who Jesus is with. He's he's really able to get under people's skin. If Jesus was with a group of super liberals, by the end of the meeting, they'd be hating him. Because he'd be challenging them. If Jesus was in the group of evangelical right-wing Christians, by the end of the meeting, I guarantee you, You'd want to throw him off a cliff. Because he's going to challenge. He's going to find the areas in your life where you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. Where you're giving an allegiance to something that's really an idol. Because he's calling us to a freedom that comes from outside of this world. Right? That's funny. They took him to the, they tried to take him to the cliff and, and throw him off. And it says that he walked away in the, uh, through the midst of them. Right? Don't you wish, like, where the Bible really gets in detailed descriptions of things, it's like, I don't really care what the, the thing that holds the other thing in the tabernacle look like. And I don't understand how you just kind of, but I want to know how this happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, did he pull a Jason Bourne and just all of a sudden you know, put on a hat and change his cloak? And, you know. <laughs> I am not the Savior you are looking for. <laughs> 
You know, or did he just throw up a force field and just walk through? I, I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says he walked away. They had no power over him. Their anger over his statements. Okay, and these were the Jewish people, okay? Like God's chosen race? <laughs> no. See, they were chosen to be a witness to truth. So they misunderstood that and thought it made them special in some way and not accountable. All right? And so, God forbid if we as Americans would ever make that same mistake. When God has given us so much riches, why? To reach the rest of the world. I said earlier, we're 4% of the population of the, of the world. All right? So 96% of people in the world are of other different nationalities, ethnicities, speak different languages. <clears throat> All right? Uh, but we're given, I don't know the exact number, you can research it, probably 80 to 90% of the wealth. Wow. You know what that makes us? It makes us God's spoiled kids. And yet we complain. We complain about the prices. Comparatively, in the United States, food is free. Seriously. Even if you struggle to buy groceries, compared to people in most countries, it's free. It's so cheap, it's free. Okay, water's free. Literally, is free in almost every way. You know, everything is so cheap, and we complain about it. We have the best of the best. God's going to hold us to that. But also, from a spiritual perspective, when we get to heaven, ninety-six percent of the songs are not going to be Chris Tomlin songs. <laughs> Bethel songs, Jesus culture songs. We might have to wait a thousand years before they sing a song we recognize. <laughs> Why? Because we're the, we're the vast minority. It, within a few years, if not already, the majority of Christians in the world are Chinese in China. When you get to heaven, there's going to be a whole bunch of Chinese people. A lot more than Americans. We're Westerners. And there's going to be a whole lot of Africans. Because there's a debate right now. Are there, are there going to be more? Is the, is the focal point or uh, the, the center of gravity of the church, the total number of Christians, it's, it's definitely moved away from you know, Western Europe 100 years ago. <coughs> And it moved to the United States. In other words, uh, we have the most Christian universities. We produce missionaries. And we were the central place where Scripture was proclaimed and studied. But every theologian that studies this, the debate is, is it going to move to Africa or, or Asia? Because both Africa and Asia has has many, many, many times more Christians. And there are many... Uh, much more faithful because they're being Christians in the face of incredible hostility. Hostility that you and I can't even compare. So their level of faithfulness is higher. So just just to give you a spiritual point of view 
of where we fit in the bigger picture. People still don't understand that the freedom Jesus is offering is a different kind of freedom. Uh, Like the people in the story, they see it through the lens of the world. But Jesus came to offer us freedom from that world. All right. Uh, John says this. I think this is a very difficult scripture to understand. First John 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So what does this mean? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Again, this is one of those verses you're so familiar with it. It's easy to read it and not apply it to your life. But I want to take a a minute here and say, how can we apply this to our lives? Don't love the world. Well, listen, you know what I'm doing this afternoon? I'm going to go back to my house. I'm going to load up my motorcycle, which I love. And I'm going to ride up north. And I'm going to spend two weeks in the Upper Peninsula, which I love. Okay. One of my favorite towns in the, in the lower uh, peninsula of Michigan is a place called Harbor Springs. If you've never been there, you should go. It's really cool. And there's one hotel, and I got a room in it. Okay. Uh, it's a really old hotel, but it's really cool. And I'm going to stay at a hotel on the very tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula. So it's the peninsula that juts up into Lake Superior. And if you've never seen Lake Superior, you're missing something. Lake Michigan is big. I tell people when I travel about Lake Michigan, and they're they're thinking lake. And I'm like, no, it's bigger. It's like an ocean. And I'll show them a picture. Uh, Seriously, they go, oh, you live on the West Coast. I'm like, yeah, the west coast of Michigan, that's a, that's a lake. They think, it's, they think it's the Pacific Ocean, you know, because it's so big. But you don't realize that you can take all the water from, from uh, uh, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, Lake Erie, uh, and Lake Ontario, and they'll fit in Lake Superior. You could drain all the other lakes and put them all in Lake Superior. Lake Superior has more water than all the other lakes combined. That's how big this lake is. And I'm going to be standing at the tip of that peninsula. I love it. So does that mean I'm violating this? No. I don't think so. I, I hope not. Otherwise, you got to repent, brother. <laughs> I don't think this all. Yeah. The thing is, would I cling to that at the cost of denying Jesus? Okay. That's what it's talking about. If there's something in your life that you're clinging to, more than you cling to Jesus. The word world is the Greek word cosmos, which we actually use in English, cosmos. It means the, the world in a literal sense. And it can mean anything in the world, like the motorcycle or Kivanaugh Peninsula or Lake Superior. But it actually means the idea of the world or worldliness, the system by which the world operates. God created the world and He called it good. And God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. So, 
you know, this verse in First John is not contradicting those truths. It's talking about uh, bringing a balance and highlighting a sharp contrast between worldliness and godliness. And what do we value most? Worldliness is allowing anything in this world to compete with our relationship with our Father. Is there anything that we're trying to cling to at the cost of a deeper relationship with the Father? Right? Most, many people say that they don't have, hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. <laughs> just recognize you. <laughs> they just moved from Canada. Yeah. Old Canada. <laughs> Canada Day was just a few weeks ago, too. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, most people say they don't have time to read the Bible. But they'll spend the average between four and five hours looking at this thing. I don't have time for the Bible. Whatever you look at, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what YouTube videos you're looking at or what social media or whatever. The truth is, it's not about time. It's about what you value. All right? I'd like to do more for the church. I don't have time. No, you just want to do other things more. All right? That doesn't mean you... You know, you're supposed to enjoy your family and have that. But you have your priorities in line. And when you don't have priorities, when you value anything, you invest anything in that's worldly uh, more than godly, then it shows that you're, you have an idol in your life. Jim Elliott, great missionary who died for his faith, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can't hold on to anything in this life. And so if it comes down to it, I'm willing to give it up in order to gain eternal life with Jesus. And Jesus addresses the same idea, Mark 8. So Jesus began to tell them, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, He would rise from the dead. Okay, this tells us that Jesus actually told His disciples exactly what would happen. But they didn't get it because even after He was crucified, they were all scared and hiding up in a room and didn't know what was going on. Right? So you can hear the truth and you can just go in one ear out the other. Right, so he tell, he's, just, he's saying, get ready, guys. This is what's going to happen. And as he talked about this openly with his disciple, Peter, good old Peter, takes him aside and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. And I like this. Jesus turned around and looked at his... So here's Peter correcting Jesus for telling him he's going to... telling them that he's going to die on the cross for, the salvation, for their salvation... Peter's saying this, and he looks over at his other disciples, probably like, can you get this? Can you guys see this? Can you believe what this is he doing? All right? Jesus looked over at his disciples, and then he turned back to Peter and said, hey, Peter, you're, a, you're Satan. Get behind me, Satan. In other words, he was under the influence of the enemy. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God. And then he turned to the crowd and told the crowd to join his group of disciples. He says, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to this life, your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, what's the good news? It's not only the news that's good to you, but it's telling the good news to those who need to hear it. If you're willing to give up your life to communicate the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ to your neighbor, to your enemy, to your friends, if you're willing to do that, you you will save your life. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's what Jesus. That's what, like, that's what Jesus is highlighting here. He's he's trying to get them to understand what they are valuing most, and he's saying, "Listen, you need to value your soul. What's going to last after your body is dead and gone? Right? And is there anything in this life that's that's worth risking your soul for? And the answer is no. And he demonstrated that by dying on the cross, by giving up his life as an example, and then telling us to follow him. He goes on. Uh, he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns uh, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus thought he was, or Peter thought he was doing something good. He thought he was trying to convince Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, your ministry is worth it. But Peter was mistaken. He was in conflict with Jesus. And Jesus said, you're seeing from a worldly perspective, but not God's. And then he he laid out that cost of what it means to follow him. We have to be willing to let go of everything else as well. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago is the same today. And the world is the same today. It's just as adulterous and sinful. Right? Jesus said it. That was after thousands of years of having God's Word and God's Law and the prophets. And Jesus said this world is just as adulterous. Adulterous not only means sexual sin, but any form of unfaithfulness. And sinful just means every other category of sin. And so listen, the world hasn't changed. And what Jesus said hasn't changed. There's one thing that's different today, though. And that's the people who's hearing the message. And today it's, it's you and I. It's our day. How are you going to respond? Are you going to say, hey, I've I got enough freedom. I've got the Constitution. I'm an American. i got enough freedom. I don't, have, I don't have sins like that guy. Or those people. Or are you going to say... I'm willing to give up everything I have to follow Jesus. Because nothing in this world, as good as it is, can free me from the world, which is the very thing that is my death sentence. And I would rather die in hope of the world to come in the promises of Jesus than cling to anything in this world. So I challenge you today. And listen, (laughs) I just want to be clear as we close. This is a difficult sermon for me to preach because there's things that I cling to 
that I know keep me from a deeper relationship with the Father. And anything, even good things, that keep you from going deeper. And no matter how holy you are, you can always go deeper with the Father. Right? And so I, I just ask you to close your eyes right now. Now let's just go to our Father. <clears throat> Father, we thank You that You sent Jesus from heaven because You loved the world so much. You loved us. And we thank You that You challenge us with these, these difficult commands. That we're to follow Jesus to the cross. Father, I